This afternoon, we'll deal with Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 21, and we'll read in connection with that Articles 27 and 28 of the Belgic Confession. But we begin with Lord's Day 21. And there we confess from the Word of God the following. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. So far, Lord's Day 21 will turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 27 and 28, page 512 in the Book of Praise. And there we confess the Catholic Christian Church. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ are washed by his blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end, for Christ is an eternal king who cannot be without subjects. This holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. Then Article 28, everyone's duty to join the church, we believe, since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it that no one ought to withdraw from it content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and every one are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers according to the word of God to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They should do so, even though rulers and edicts of princes were against it, and death or physical punishment might follow. And therefore, all who, therefore, who draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. So far, our confessions. 
brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to him. At the beginning of this worship service this afternoon, we sang that verse, uh, the first stanza of Psalm 122. My heart exalted, I was glad when I heard eager voices call, come let us go now one and all to Zion, the house of God. A song of gladness about going to Jerusalem, the Israelites going to Jerusalem to the house of God there. In New Testament terms, we could say a song of joy about going to church on, on Sunday. And if you sang this psalm not only with your mouth but also with your heart, then you expressed, you expressed joy in the church, gladness at being able to be here in, in church with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is good to be together as church of the Lord, isn't it? All different people, different characters, different backgrounds, and so on. Some prosperous, some frustrated, disappointed. Some with huge problems in their lives. Some who have, seem to have hardly any concerns. Some young, finding their way in life, all kinds of choices to make. Some old, all kinds of life experience in the past. But together, we all sang that same Psalm 122 about being glad at being together in God's house. And that makes you think, it, it's, congregation, it's not just a matter of course that we all have a place in God's house and that our being here this afternoon, that, that it's just something we do because we're expected to. Or it's some kind of a tradition This is a miracle here. It's a miracle because the church is not our doing. It's God's work. This is God's work bringing people together here. The church of Christ isn't something organized and run by people as such. Not even by office bearers. But it belongs to Christ, God's son. And he gathers, defends, and keeps it. He's the one that does it. As we confess that in Lord's Day 21, he brings together, and he keeps it by his word and spirit. And that's why the church is confessed in the part of the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that Christ gathers and keeps his church and I summarize the message for this afternoon as follows the gospel of the church of Christ we see three things kind of along the line of the questions and answers of Lord's Day 21 it's a community of faith in the first place secondly it's a hearth of love and thirdly it's a house of hope first of all a community of faith the This point has to do with what we confess then in the first question and answer of Lord's Day 21. It's asked there, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? It isn't asked what you think about it um, or how you, you experience 
the Holy Catholic Church or how you feel about it, but what you believe about it. Believe. This is a matter of faith. Note, we don't believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we believe the Holy Catholic Church. Just as we believe the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We believe the Holy Catholic Church as work of God. So when we, we say we believe a Holy Catholic Christian Church, that means that the church is something we only know about and speak about in faith, out of faith. And faith is, as we know from Hebrews 11, verse 1, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That might make you wonder about the church then as a matter of faith. Do we believe the church because it can't be seen, because it's invisible? A lot of people actually think that today. They say that the church of Christ is a sum total of all believers and that those believers are spread throughout all kinds of churches and sects and maybe not even belong to any church at all. But all together they make up the real Holy Catholic Church of Christ. And it's an invisible body, a church which has no address, no buildings, no assemblies, and so on. But Lord's Day 21 doesn't talk about a a vague invisible church like that without any organization which people can't actually join in a specific place on earth and in which there is no accountability or anything how can you join it as as we mentioned in article 28 of the belgian confession if it's a kind of a an invisible entity And think of how we confess, answer 55, that members of the Holy Catholic Church of Christ are duty-bound to use their gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit of the other members. Well, if you're going to help each other, you have to know each other. You have to be able to communicate with each other, right? Think of how we confess, then, that, that we are obliged to unite with the church and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And that shows you that the church has to be visible, needs to have an address, right? The Holy Catholic Church of Christ has an address here and there and everywhere, universally. And that shows, too, that the church can be joined. Think of how the Apostle Paul, too, addressed many of his letters in the Bible to specific churches. He wrote a letter to to the church at Philippi to the church at Ephesus and so on, to the churches in Galatia. Specific churches. That brings another question, though. You might wonder why we need to believe a holy Catholic church of Christ if it's visible. Why believe it if it's visible? Why do we confess in the creed that we believe a church then? Well, that's because what makes a church, Holy Catholic Church of Christ, what makes the church that is invisible. If you don't look at the church with the eye of faith, then you see an assembly of people who come together and perform certain rituals and activities like sacraments, singing, preaching, praying, 
and giving on and so on and you see how they help each other at times but you don't see the work of Christ in it and and you don't see the work of the spirit in it and that's what we believe that that this is the work of Christ Christ calls us together here and that we meet him here in the preaching and that we praise and worship him with our songs and prayers and gifts but if you in faith if you don't in faith see Christ then this is all just a human activity here and see though Christ and his spirit work invisibly what they do becomes very visible and therefore the church of Christ becomes also a visible reality but it can only be seen be comprehended in faith Christ gathers his church it's his doing and you only see that it's his doing in faith and that's why we confess here that we believe a holy catholic christian church that also means that we only learn to know the church really we learn to know the church from the bible the word of god just look at all the bible texts listed under that first question and answer of lord's day 21 old testament as well as new testament texts the lord speaks about his church throughout the bible and the bible often describes the church figuratively in metaphors vineyard the vineyard of the lord or the body a body or a bride the bride of Christ or a building or a flock think of how the lord jesus used the metaphor of a flock of sheep in john 10 which we read earlier on he says there i'm the good shepherd and i know my sheep and i am known by my sheep my sheep will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd Jesus is the good shepherd who gathers the sheep of his flock together and looks after them, feeds them, leads them. And he's been given those sheep by God the Father in his electing grace. And Jesus gathers them together by his spirit and word, the voice. It's his voice that attracts them to follow him. they recognize his voice and that's that's why they follow him that voice has sounded all throughout history that voice called adam in paradise called enoch and abram and moses that's why they followed that way of salvation in christ the prophets sounded his voice in the old testament the apostles let his voice be heard in the new testament after christ's ascension and the whole book of acts you see the church being gathered through the word and spirit and that voice of the good shepherd still calls today too wherever the whole gospel is faithfully proclaimed so what do we need to do we simply need to listen humbly to the voice of the good shepherd and and follow him and make sure that as church we continue to listen to that word of god submit to that in everything and have to watch out for the hollowing out of what it means to be church according to the bible watch out 
that we don't think like so many do today that it doesn't matter which church you go to and which church you belong to. The church's congregation, the church's only where the voice of the good shepherd is clearly heard, where the Bible is faithfully preached and fully taught. And if that's the case, then the good shepherd wants to see you on Sundays with open ear among those who gathered there to hear the same. And then he feeds, he feeds his sheep with himself, with the gospel about himself. So we shouldn't let our church membership kind of slide into formal automatism either, kind of a routine or tradition. My parents went here, I went here, so I'm going there too. No, he wants us to come here with an attitude of gladness like the psalmist, Psalm 122, came to the Old Testament house of God in Jerusalem, joyfully. The good shepherd loves it when his sheep come to him and follow him and worship him with gladness and together as one flock. And he's glorified in that when his people come together as one community, all sharing the same faith in him and in his word as expressed in the confessions which have been agreed upon over time. We come to the second part of the sermon, the church's hearth of, of love or fireplace of, of love. What, what binds us together here, congregation? What joins us together? What keeps us together? Not that we get along so well together or that we all have the same likes and dislikes or that we're all the same of the same status in society or so. Congregation, what, what, what ties us together in the church is that we, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's what, what binds what draws together, pulls us together as with a magnet. Because of that relationship with Christ, then you also come to a relationship with each other. That's what the communion of saints is about. And that communion is also something that we confess our faith about. That communion can only be understood, comprehended in faith. Somebody who doesn't believe will see the church as a group of people with similar interests who organize things together and who are prepared to help each other when necessary. But if you look with the eye of faith, you realize there's a lot more going on than that. In faith, you experience the love of God together, which also translates into love for one another. Christ was completely forsaken on Golgotha so that we might never more be forsaken by God, so that we might never have to go without the communion with God and with one another too. Christ gave all relationships up on earth relationships with his family, friends, and followers, for completely forsaken in order that we might always enjoy the relationship with him and then out of that relationship with him also relationship with each other. That's why the New Testament typifies the church as a body. 
A body with many members of which Christ is the head. And the head is the part of the body which, which holds it all together and makes it all move. The connection with him connects us all together. And that's a beautiful metaphor. Church as body in which all the members are connected to the head, to the same head, and thus work together for each other. The spirit sent out by the head incites all the members to love for one another too. Spirit sent out by the head sets the hearts of the members on fire for the Lord and for each other. In Lord's Day 19, we confess that by his spirit, Christ pours out heavenly gifts on us, his members. Lord's Day 20, we confess that the Holy Spirit makes us by faith share in Christ and all his benefits. So as members of Christ, we share in all Christ's gifts. He pours out heavenly gifts on us, and then we share those gifts also with one another. We let others benefit from the gifts and the talents we receive. And we benefit from the gifts others have. Those gifts aren't meant to be hoarded by us then, but shared with one another. And, and that's uh, beautiful, really, if you think about that the body has mem- many members, each member their own function, meant to serve the whole body. Nobody is useless in the church. We all have been given a place and a function and a a gift to serve the others with. Some have the gift to organize, others the gift to help, others the gift to empathize and encourage, others the gift to instruct or the gift to pray for, for others. But all those gifts are ultimately Christ's gifts, the head's gifts which he gives to the members so that you may be a blessing to one another so that you can let others experience his love too. And there's lots to do in a church like this, isn't there? There are members who are in danger of becoming estranged from faith and from the church. If you notice that, will you lovingly reach out to them, try to talk to them, maybe invite them out for lunch to encourage them to hold on to Christ? Or or pray for them there are people who deal with troubles in the church do you show concern for them try to help them keep their hearts on the Lord keep their minds focused on him or do you, do you think oh, somebody else, let somebody else do it they're better at it than I am no brothers and sisters this is something each of us is called to consider and to do and it's often just the little things that mean the most The Lord Jesus even says that if you give someone even just a a glass of water in his name, you do it to him. I believe the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, that faith can only be experienced and seen if our hearts are also burning with love for Christ. Then they'll burn for each other. And then the church is a hearth of love. We come to the last part of the sermon. The church is a house of hope. So question and answer 55 is about the communion of saints. 56 about the forgiveness of sins. And 
the catechism doesn't, isn't just random in what, it's, what it has here together, what it groups together here. It's all connected. <clears throat> because in that communion of saints in question and answer 55, it says saints, but those saints are all sinners too. That's the reality of this life. Bible talks about it. We all experience the sad reality, right? We're saints called and sanctified in Christ, set apart in Christ. But as long as we're here in this life, we all have our weaknesses and sins to struggle with. We all still carry that sinful nature in us. Sinful saints. But as our form for baptism also says, if we, through weakness, fall into sins, we also know we don't have to despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin, but we need to flee to Christ. The thing is, congregation, the gospel which uncovers our sinful nature and our sins is not going to bring despair, but will give us hope. The church is house of hope. In the church here, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and taught. So we don't need to avoid the whole topic of our sins and sinfulness because it's, it's taught in order to come to that hope. I believe the forgiveness of sins, of my sins, For the sake of Christ, God will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, but will forgive me through Christ's blood. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. What a wonderful message you're allowed to hear in church every Sunday again. Through Christ, God cleanses from all sins. Believe that message and you are reconciled with God. It's the greatest gift of all which the church holds out to you. The church is given the task to hold that out to you. That's why Article 27 of the Belgian Confession calls the church the assembly of believers who are washed with Christ's blood. Those words, by the way, reflect what we read in Revelation 7, the gospel of the great multitude which no one could number, the full number of all the saints, the complete communion of all the saints from all over the world, all nations, tribes, tongues, and so on. They're people, we're told, who have come out of the great tribulation. That's what this life is. It's a tribulation. This is the great tribulation to live here in this fallen world. They've come out of that great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And that Lamb will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, that's the hope of the Church of Christ. The hope of the Church of Christ here today, too. That's where we're headed and no one can stop believers in Christ from arriving there not even death can stop them 
Because that's what we confess to in Lord's Day 21, that we are and forever shall remain living members of that church of Christ. Forever. Not just in this life, but also in the life to come. That means that believers who have died still belong to the Holy Catholic Church of Christ, the Christian church. But they make up the part of the gathering which is in heaven already. Part of the church is already there. The church triumphant is sometimes called. The church militant here still struggles in the hope of joining the church triumphant in heaven on the last day. And then it'll really truly be one great multitude praising God, the sum total of all God's elect. And then the church will be a beautiful church without spot or wrinkle for the the bridegroom, a bride. And there'll be no more need for ministers or office bearers or elections to office or for the administration of salvation isn't needed anymore at all when we are with Christ in person. What will we need? Then there will be no more need for mission or evangelism or broadcasts because everybody there will know the Lord as they were known. And then the church will not be something only seen and experienced in faith But it will be that great multitude which John saw before the throne, praising God and the Lamb and saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Let's pray.